Hey, what's up, podcast? Sorry it's been a while since I've uploaded a new episode. I've just been busy with other things and school-related stuff. But I'm here with a new episode of the Dylan DeJam Mentorship Podcast. With me, your host, my name is Dylan DeJam. This is a recording from a Q&A session I did for a club at UCLA called MedLife. They asked a bunch of awesome questions. We really dive deep into some good steps that people can take to secure, you know, opportunities outside of school. And we dive into some mindset stuff as well. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So check it out and let me know what you think. Uh, my name is Dylan. I'm a second year med student at the medical school here at UCLA. Um, and I was asked to come and speak to you guys. Um, I think I let you guys know that I kind of want to do this mainly as like a Q&A. I want us like to get as specific as possible, like to what situation or uh, questions that you have, because I think a lot of us, like if you're in a club like this and you go to UCLA and you're like a pre-med or like a pre-health person, you already kind of know like what you're supposed to be doing, right? I mean, um, a few things off the top of my head right now. Um, we obviously want to get involved on campus and just have a lot of extracurriculars and a lot of people who don't know much about applying to medical school really tend to underestimate how important these sort of extracurricular activities are. Uh, GPA and MCAT, I think that goes without saying, like you want as high as possible GPA, high as possible MCAT score. Um, there's an MCAT study guide on my Instagram, like in the bio, so you can check that out. It just basically contains all my MCAT recommendations, so that way I don't have to like regurgitate the information to anyone who, who asked me about it. Uh, but if you have like a unique like MCAT studying situation that you want to ask me about, that's like totally fine. Um, so like in addition to the GPA and the MCAT, obviously we want to get involved in some sort of volunteer experience uh, because um, obviously if you're interested in medical school and I think just in healthcare in general, um, you're in a career in a field where we really are trying to serve others and you want to be able to demonstrate that you have a genuine interest in that in your application. Um, in addition to volunteering, shadowing in whatever field you're interested in. In particular, medicine is very important. Um, that along with some sort of clinical experience, I would say volunteering and shadowing if you're interested in medical school, those are two for sure must have things on your application, right? Um, like it can really hurt you no matter how high your GPA or your MCAT score is. So I think like emphasizing shadowing and volunteering as early as possible, starting that as early as possible is like really important and really helpful. Um, and we go to UCLA, right? So lots of research here. So re research experience, uh, that can also be a really awesome part of your application. Um, and in addition to that, I would just say like getting involved in organizations on campus that you're passionate about and that you're interested in. So I'm assuming this is like a global health sort of organization. So that's awesome. I mean, like a lot of people, like, like in my med school class here at UCLA, there's a huge uh, global health interest. I would say about a third of us went to somewhere across the world to do some global health research or work over the summer. Um, and a lot of people had a lot of fun doing that. So, uh, so joining a club like this or just any sort of organization that you're passionate about, right? Um, like for me, like one of the most awesome things I was able to do as an undergrad was I, I, I joined my school's radio station. So I had my own weekly radio show for about three and a half years. So I did that into my gap years. I took two gap years. So, um, and that was like one of the coolest things I ever did. And for the med school application, you have 15 slots to talk about your extracurricular activities, and you have the opportunity to, to, to select three of those as most meaningful activities. And I love that experience so much that it ended up being one of my most meaningful activities on my application. So um, I think it's important to kind of know yourself, know what you're passionate about, and at least have like that one activity or thing that you do that like really gets you excited and like isn't super like med school or uh, school or like academic related if that makes sense so um, 
like everyone has their own hobbies, right? So if you could find a way to legitimize that through some sort of activity or some sort of uh, documenting thing, like maybe you start a blog about playing piano or put like YouTube videos up, I think that's awesome too. So there's a bunch of ways that you can get creative with your hobbies and your passions. And I think the lower your threshold is for like executing on stuff like that, I think that's super helpful. I mean, um, I'm like word vomiting at this point, but just my general vibe after like meeting up with a lot of like pre-meds in the last year or so. I mean, I love mentorship. I've been doing it since I was in high school, but I think with um, pre-meds and pre-health in particular, like we tend to get so caught up in like how we're going to be perceived in what we do, right? So we hesitate to ask for shadowing because we're worried about being told no, or we hesitate to join this club because we're afraid of the, the interview and we're not gonna get it. Like I want you guys to have a low threshold for just like executing on any idea you have because at the end of the day, that's the only thing that's stopping you, right? Um, so yeah, that's just what's on my mind today and what I think like could help you guys is like a general thing to kind of get some ideas in your head. But I would love to start the uh, Q&A if you guys have some questions prepared. And feel free to be as like specific as possible because I feel like we already kind of know what to do, right? Yeah, what's up? Do you have any tips for Yeah, um, so the thing about the interview is that, you know, just in general, it tends to, um, two things. It tends to reward people who, who know how to be extroverted, and it tends to, to reward people who are good at thinking on their feet. So a good way that you can practice both of those things is to just get experience chatting random people up throughout the day. I mean, like you go to Starbucks and order like that $5 coffee, go and have like a 30 second conversation with like the cashier or the person who's making your coffee, or you're studying at the library and like you just like start up a conversation, hopefully the other person isn't like t t t too deep into their studying, you know? But um, I think just like getting that experience of just knowing how to talk to someone you've never met before and that you know nothing about is super helpful. Um, and a lot of my mentees are super introverted and that's like totally fine. I, I really do think that introverted people can definitely succeed in an interview. It's just a matter of knowing how to flip that extrovert switch on and getting experience sustaining that for a certain amount of time, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that's a, a great way to practice and you could start that today. I mean, you can approach someone in this club that you've never talked to before and be like, hey, what's up? My name's blah, blah. Like, it's nice to meet you, you know? I mean, it's just as easy as that. And that's one of those things that if you start that now, by the time you get to interviews, it's like, it, you're like gonna be a natural, you know? So that's a really good question. Yeah, what's up? I have a question about GPA. So I know for people that were um, undergrads, now graduated, and their GPA like, wasn't as solid as they wanted it. Mm -hmm. so say giving up? I mean, not <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, what do you mean by giving up? Like, I, I mean, I don't know, like, what are you, what would be, like, what you would want, like, the minimum to get for a GPA that you think would be competitive? And do you think it would be helpful to, like, do those um, extra programs after that if they don't get their 
Yeah, I mean, this question is super, super contextual, right? Because there's yeah. people, maybe they have a 3.2, but they did research all four years and they have like six publications and they started multiple clubs on campus and they're like an all-star other than their GPA. Or maybe they have a low GPA and they kill the MCAT and then it's kind of like a gray area, you, you know what I mean? So it's kind of hard for me to give you like a cutoff. I will say though, I think like no matter how low your GPA coming out of undergrad is, for med school, I still think there's always a way, if you really want to do it, there's always a way to get in somehow, right? And just a matter of how much do you want it, right? Um, and in general, when it comes to post-backs, so if you don't know what a post-back is, this is basically when you take additional college-level classes, either as part of a formal program or just at some sort of other university or college, and the, the grades that you get in that class that you take after college are just averaged in with the GPA that you had while you're in college, right? So in general, I'm not a huge fan of those because, I mean, even if you have like what you perceive to be a low GPA, by the time you make it to the post-bac and you graduated, you already have like 180 units under your belt or more. And taking one or two or three, four extra classes is not gonna bump you up that much. In addition, if you don't get an A in those classes, it's gonna hurt you, right? So you're basically placing a bet on yourself. Like, do I think I can get it for, like for sure, get an A in this class, you know? And if you're doing that for multiple classes, it's, it's a little risky in my opinion, right? Um, there's also graduate programs that people can do. A lot of people pursue a master's degree. Um, and there are certain master's uh, programs that are called specialized master's programs. So this is when you do a, a master's degree at an institution that has an affiliated medical school. And the reason why it's called a specialized master's program or an SMP is because that institution in the master's program, a part of the master's program is some sort of agreement that says, hey, like, it, like if you score in the top half of your class, we'll like guarantee you acceptance into our med school. Or hey, if you, like, if you do well, we'll guarantee you an interview. So um, that's what separates the SMPs or the specialized master's programs from like other master's programs because there's some sort of agreement there like, hey, like if you do good enough, if you meet this metric, we'll offer you an interview or an acceptance. I think those are great, especially if they're going to offer you an acceptance. An interview is like, you know, they can still know that they're gonna decline you even before the interview. But if they are guaranteeing you acceptance, I think that's a great bet, right? Because you, you sign up for that and you go all in and you say, hey, I'm just gonna go all out this year. And I know that if I do well, I'm, I'm gonna get accepted. And I had a friend who did that at Eastern Virginia Medical School. He went to UCI with me. And uh, now he's a medical student there. And I mean, it was the hardest he's ever studied in his whole life because um, he basically placed a bet on himself. And it's not a cheap bet, you know, master's programs are expensive, right? But, um, you know, he, it ended up working out great for him. And I think that if you're going to do any sort of additional school after undergrad, first of all, like let's look at the whole situation and see what your GPA and your, like your MCAT and your other extracurriculars are. And then, if we think that you need to do something additional, then we'll try to do an SMP because of, it, I think it's a good bet, you know, but with postbacks and stuff, I'm not a very big fan at all, just because you end up wasting time and money and if you get a B, it's like, dude, like, what's the point? Like now I'm just lowering my GPA even more or increasing it if your GPA is that low, but um, yeah. So that's my two cents. I, I, I hope that's helpful. It's just like, it's hard to give you like a cutoff, right? Because everyone's situation is different and some people have different goals. Like some people are like, hey, I wanna go to a top 20 med school. That conversation is gonna be different than, hey, I just wanna get in somewhere. I don't care if it's MD or DO, you know what I mean? So the conversation is gonna be different depending on what your goals are.
Yeah, what's up? I guess when you're looking at med school, you know that there's going to be some kind of financial burden to it. Is there like anything that med schools, can they offer you any kind of financial aid or is there anything that you'd recommend for people going in and money is something that they're worried about? Yeah, so I mean, money is a huge thing like to think about, especially for uh, medical school. Um, I think like, you know, the average debt of most like graduating medical students, like the last number I saw was on average like $150,000. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, the schooling is expensive, you know, um, and it, medical schools do offer financial aid. Of course, it's going to vary school to school, right? They're going to offer you a certain amount of, you know, like institutional loans, depending on the school. They, they may offer scholarships. I know here at, at, at UCLA, there's a program called the David Geffen Medical Scholarship Program. And um, this, the like individual that the school is named after, he donated a bunch of money to start this scholarship. And so a, a certain like percentage of students in our class, they get a David Geffen Medical Scholarship, which basically pays for the whole tuition, their housing, and gives them a living stipend. So they basically graduate debt-free. It covers the whole cost of attendance in medical school. And a, a lot of other schools also offer like similar scholarships. So um, yeah, I would argue that you know, if financial things are something that you are worried about, then that's even more of an impetus for you to build a very competitive application because a lot of the time when they're considering who to give these sorts of scholarships and special aid to, they're going to look at your application and see like, oh, hey, like, do we think this person is worthy enough to receive this scholarship? How much do we want them to pick our school versus another school, right? Because at the end of the day, the scholarship is a, a way for them to get you to pick their school. Right? So if you build a super competitive application and make the schools want you, that is going to make you more likely to receive that sort of generous scholarship, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, um, but again, like, you know, so it, it's great that you asked this question. I got a message on my Instagram the other day and someone asked me like, hey, like, is it okay to work part-time while you're in medical school? And it's weird, like I never thought about that before, but it's totally doable. I mean, especially if you have a chill curriculum like we have here, it's like pass-fail, the lectures are optional attendance. Um, I definitely could have worked part-time, I mean, in my time in medical school. I, I did do a little bit of MCAT teaching and that helped like a little bit, but um, yeah, I mean, so that's another option as well. Um, I've heard of medical students being like real estate agents on the weekends and they show houses and they make money to help them pay for school. I mean, there's a bunch of opportunities, right? Just a matter of having like, again, a low threshold for executing on some idea you have. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if that answers your question. Yeah, most schools offer some sort of like aid in the form of loans. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. What's up? Um, so there's a lot of uh, undergrad students that go to the hospital and volunteer and stuff like that. But are there any other opportunities for clinical students other than like volunteering, doing the um, like stuff like you know stuffing papers and stuff like that? Are you talking about like here at UCLA in particular, or just like in general, in general ideas yeah. for getting clinical experience? Yeah, I, I mean, for, first and foremost, shadowing can serve as some form of clinical experience, right? I think shadowing in whatever field you're going into is very important because it demonstrates that you have some sort of idea of what the field is like. So shadowing is a great place to start. And again, I mean, some people talk about how hard it is to find shadowing opportunities, but it's just a numbers game. Right? Like if you tell yourself, hey, I'm gonna email three doctors every day and ask them if I can shadow them, you're bound to find someone at some point in time. So um, shadowing is one great way. There's also volunteering. And volunteering experience, as you uh, mentioned, it can range from, as you said, filing and 
moving things around the hospital and stuffing papers away and stuff. Or it can be super hands-on stuff, like they're letting you interact with like, patients and wheel them around or something. So that varies as well. Uh, you can also get a job in a, a clinical setting that would also serve as clinical experience. So it wouldn't count as volunteering, but it counts as paid clinical experience. Um, I personally worked as a medical scribe. I thought it was a super excellent gig. Um, because you basically apply and the company hires you and trains you like I don't have to pay to, for like a special training course and have to take a test and get a certification um, some people like to work as EMTs but I'm not a huge fan of working as an EMT I, no offense if there's EMTs here I just think it's a, a harder route to go through because you have to pay for a class you have to take a test the, the class can take several months at a time or maybe even a year depending on the sort of class that you're doing then, then you have to pass the test and then you have to find the job so it's kind of like a longer journey but for some people they really want that hands-on experience that you get as an EMT that you don't get as a scribe so I mean it all depends um, and then you could just work as a medical assistant in some sort of medical office that's growing very, very popular, I think, because those experiences vary tremendously. I mean, usually it consists of a mixture of you doing the filing and paperwork stuff, and also maybe doing vitals for the patients that come in. You Usually, if you work as like a medical assistant like that, you're usually working at some sort of a private practice office for some physician or clinician at their own office. Um, and those opportunities, it's kind of like you have to seek those out Right, like they, they may be posted on like a UCLA Facebook group or something, but you may have to network your way into something like that, you know, so. Um, and like when you're emailing doctors for shadowing, it's, I mean, it doesn't hurt to also be like, you know, if I can't shadow you, is there anyone else that you can refer me to who would be interested in having me? Um, I think training yourself to learn how to network in that way and kind of find your own opportunities like that is super, super helpful. And again, it all comes back to having that low threshold for executing and for reaching out and for asking for things. So, um, sorry, that was like a word vomit response to your question, but I hope it's helpful. Yeah, what's up? Um, just a follow-up, like, about your experience um, as a medical scribe, I was actually considering that because our sister does go to medical school right now, and she said those who did that um, find it really helpful because, like, they're very familiar with the vocab and stuff like that. I read that there is some place hiring, but I'm honestly scared because um, I'm not like the fastest typer, right? But you did mention that they um, train you, so I just wanted to hear more about that experience. Yeah, so, f well, an initial part of the application process is a typing test, right? Oh. So they wanna, so I mean, you may think you're a slow typer, but you know, their standard may not be as high as you think it is, right? Like, I don't think like I'm an extraordinarily fast typer by any means, especially if you include typos, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, again, it's like you, you're not gonna know if you're gonna get it or not unless you apply. It all comes back to having that low threshold for just executing, right? Now, um, I loved being a scribe, it was awesome. Um, you do learn a lot of the medical lingo and you learn a lot of like, the stuff about medicine that I literally would have n no knowledge about if I wasn't a scribe. And that stuff that I'm referring to is the paperwork, um, note taking, I mean, medical notes and charting is a huge aspect of healthcare and medicine as well. And uh, being exposed to that yeah, I think is super helpful. Um, and it's just fun. I mean, I was in the emergency department. We saw a range of cases involving a variety of, I mean, organ systems and stuff. Like you see a lot of stuff. And, and UC Irvine is a level one trauma center. So we saw a lot of trauma as well. And it was a really like interesting, awesome experience. It's a great way to get a letter of rec as well. Um, but yeah, I think 
I wouldn't really worry about, you know, if you're a slow typer or not. I mean, a part of the training process, well, the main part of the training process is just understanding how medical notes work and just teaching you the basic vocab of like, me, like medicine and the organ systems and certain drugs and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, it's, it, I didn't think it was an arduous training process by any means, but that was my experience. But if you're interested, I think you should just do it. I mean like, how are we gonna know if we're, like, if we're gonna be good at it or if we're gonna like it if we don't just do it, you know, so. Yeah, what's up? Yeah, so um, for those of you who are not n knowledgeable about this, so there's basically two medical degrees in the United States that will grant you the ability to obtain a medical license, right? The medical license is what allows you to actually formally practice medicine. So that's the, the MD degree and the DO degree. Um, they are both, met, like the schooling for them is almost entirely the same, right? Um, the, virtually the only difference is the two letters after your name. Now, um, the way that the landscape is right now is that the deal schools tend to be, have like lower average MCAT scores and GPAs and they tend to be a little more accessible for people who aren't super competitive applicants. And uh, I, like really I think the question is not like are you considering MD or DO? I think it, like if someone is a really competitive candidate some of my mentees, I tell them to not even apply to DO schools because I'm positive that they can get into an MD school. For other people, they, they may apply MD as well as DO, and for others, they may just apply DO because they, they really don't think that they have a shot at the MD schools. Um, in terms of the training, it's literally the same, right? Um, there was initially like a distinction between MD and DO schools because DO, a lot of the foundation of their training revolves around uh, manual, therapy, which is called like osteopathic manipulation. So um, a lot of the original uh, theory behind osteopathic medicine involved manipulations of the joint and the spine in order to alleviate patients of their symptoms. Now, um, the training is basically the same. You get to be this, like you can be a DO, like, like any sort of doctor can also be a DO. Like if you wanna be a neurologist, you can go to DO school and be a neurologist. If you wanna be an orthopedic surgeon, you can go to DO school and be an orthopedic surgeon. So it's literally like the same thing. I, I get so frustrated at times because like it's literally like the same thing. And, and there's certain YouTube videos I've seen like where people say that DO is more holistic, that's completely false. I mean, all of medicine is holistic, right? If something works, it's called medicine. Right? So if there's like any evidence to back a certain therapy, and there's a lot of evidence to back you know, the biopsychosocial medical model of medicine, right? That's, we just call that medicine, right? So I wouldn't say that DO is more holistic by any means. So I think that's a really common myth, and a lot of people say, oh, I wanna go DO because I wanna be more holistic, but that, that's really not how it works, right? MD is just as holistic as DO. D DO schools, you get virtually the same level of training as an MD. It's just that in deal school, you also learn that osteopathic manipulation. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure how strong the evidence base is for that manipulation, but um, again, it's basically the same thing. So I, I don't know if that answers your uh, question. Oh, actually, I should mention one more thing. In the past, what the perspective and landscape was, was that 
Um, if you're a DO, it can be a little harder to match into more competitive specialties, like uh, neurosurgery, plastic surgery, dermatology, et cetera. Um, but again, that, that doesn't mean it's impossible. And now because of the merger, no one knows what the landscape is gonna look like, right? It's hard to tell, like, is it still gonna be hard for DOs or is it gonna be more leveled out? So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like, if you get into, like, like if you apply to med school and you, like, get into a DO school, I think that's awesome. Like, you're gonna be a doctor, right? So, that's just, like, some of my perspectives. Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about a particular cutoff like that here at UCLA. Um, I mean, the thing about med school admissions is that it's such like a black box, right? It's hard to know. Like, I think schools are rarely gonna make it very obvious that they have a cutoff because then it's less of a drive for people to submit their application if they don't meet the cutoff, right? Like, if you knew that your MCAT score wasn't high enough, then you're not gonna give them the $100 for them to, to consider your application in the first place, right? So, um, yeah, I don't know much about specific cutoffs, but I do think that, um, I mean, with the MCAT in general, like you wanna set aside two to three months of time like where you're not doing anything else except studying for the MCAT, go all out on the MCAT and like try to do as well as possible. And I do think that the MCAT is a very like learnable test. I think that anyone, if you're able to get an A in a college level class, you're able to do well on the MCAT. And I don't like it when people de de uh, demonize these exams, like they're these crazy impossible things because it's really not. Um, and I think the more that you psych yourself out, the more you're increasing the likelihood of having a bad outcome. So, um, sorry, I kind of like diverted from your question, but I don't like to get, like it's the same thing with the GPA question. Like I don't like to think about, oh, like what's the cutoff? Like what's my goal score? Your goal GPA and your goal score should be as high as possible, right? And um, just work hard and see what happens. And then depending on the outcome, we'll figure out what our next steps are. So that's my uh, perspective. What's up? Uh, so what's the hardest part about like transitioning from like undergrad or into med school? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, my undergrad, I, I mean, I love my undergrad. I had a lot of fun. I went to UCI. Um, my, I kind of goofed around my first year. I ended my first year with like less than a 3.0 GPA. And then um, the only thing I did in my first year that was like extracurricular related was I joined a fraternity. And it, it wasn't like a pre-med fraternity. So. Um, that was like the only extracurricular thing that I did. Um, and then um, I started learning like, oh, hey, I have to do this thing called the MCAT. I have to do this thing, like all this other stuff because I met some awesome mentors in my fraternity who kind of let me know like, oh, hey, like this is like the sorts of things that, that like you should be doing. Um, and, you know, I think in my senior year, by that point, I was doing a lot of stuff. I mean, I was still involved in my fraternity. I was an RA. I was in my lab doing research like 30 hours a week. I was shadowing and volunteering like when I could. Um, I was, it's weird, like I was in like this state of flow where like my life was super, super busy, but I was having a lot of fun. It was like the perfect balance almost. And then um, I took two gap years, but um, yeah, I mean, I love my gap years. It was just so much fun. I honestly could have taken a third gap year. Like, looking back, like, that wouldn't have been too bad, you know? Um, 
because there really is no rush. I mean, our parents may make us feel like we're in a rush or our family and like cultural pressures and stuff may make us feel like we're in a rush, but there really is no rush. Um, and the transition to med school, I mean, I think I'm really lucky. I go to UCLA, our curriculum is very chill. I mean, as I mentioned, it's pass-fail. Our lectures are optional. There's no reason to worry unless like you really are not putting in like, e like any effort whatsoever, right? Um, and it's been a really awesome experience. Like for me, I've made some really good friends um, and my family lives like half an hour away, so I go home all the time and I just feel really lucky and really blessed. Um, I'm lucky to have had not as difficult of a transition into medical school like compared to other people that I know because they may be far away from their families for the first time or the material may be harder for them due to, you know, they, they may have had a, like a different background. Like I work as a scribe, as we mentioned, right? So that is probably helping me out with my understanding. I was a biochemistry major and um, I, I think biochemistry like really equips you with like the alphabet of like understanding how medicine works on like the cellular and like molecular level so a lot of these things that we learn about it's not it's like almost like an application of the biochemistry stuff that i learned in undergrad right so um i, I think for those reasons my i'm really lucky to have had not as stressful of a transition but i mean for other people you know they may have a tough time even if they go to a chill school like ucla or they may even say that ucla is not chill i mean this is again my perspective right um, I get to go home like once a week and spend time with my family and forget about school. You know, not everyone has that. Not everyone is like fortunate enough to have that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been great for me. I feel really lucky. So, yeah, thanks for asking that. <laughs> Thank you. And on that note, I mean, again, another reason to work hard and build a competitive application. If you care about staying close to home, especially if you're from SoCal or even NorCal, which is harder, you need to build a competitive application. I mean, like, it's tough out here if you want to stay, like, in California. So if that's something you're really passionate about, use that to fuel, you know, your desire to, like, to work hard and build a good application. So, I mean, that was one of the things that, like, fueled me. I mean, I was a slacker in, like, my freshman year of college. I, I truly was. Uh, but, um, you know, I just, I did things that I was passionate about, right, like the radio thing. You know, like everything I got involved in, I made sure that I was doing it because I liked it. And then if I started it and I realized I, w I wasn't as stoked, I just dropped it. I just, it, like, it's so hard for me to do things that I don't like doing. And I think that holding on to that mentality was helpful because then everything I did, it, like every time I'm exhausting my energy, I'm enjoying myself, right? Like st stuff like this, like this is like giving me energy, right? It's not because like, you know, like I'm not going to feel tired after this. I'm going to feel motivated and excited because I'm having a really good time right now. So um, I think having that mentality, those check boxes that we talked about, like the research, the volunteering, the extracurriculars, if you just do what you're passionate about and what like gets you excited, and it's not always medical related, that's going to make it easier for you to work hard. Like you're not even going to feel like you're working. You know what I mean? So again, another word vomit response, but that's my perspective, you know. Yeah, what's up? Yeah, I mean, it's weird, like, so for me, my perspective is balance, like, the, you have to just accept that there's gonna be times where you're not really gonna be balanced, right? If you're balanced during week one or week zero is way different than week 10, or week four or five, you know, with, like, you know, midterms and stuff, right? I, I think just a matter of, like, 
riding whatever wave is coming at you, right? Or like going with the punches or whatever, you know, figure of speech you want to use to describe it. Um, for me, I mean, it's spending time with the people I care about really refuels me. Um, and I think something, you know, looking back that helped a lot was having that radio show. I mean, it's two hours every week where I only have to pay attention to music and what's happening right now. And it was really a mindful thing for me because I was mixing live. So like, it's like a really in the moment thing where I'm super like paying attention, I'm in the zone. And it was in the middle of, like, of the week and that just really refueled me. And again, like going back to what I was saying earlier, like everything I did is, I genuinely liked it, you know? Um, that's not to say that there weren't tough times, you know? But I think it's just a matter of knowing what I have control over and focusing on that, and if there's things I don't have control over, it's like, you know, learning to accept that. So I, I hope that's helpful. I mean, and then exercise, I mean, the, like, the cliche, you know, running, yoga, lifting weights, or whatever is your gym, you know, I think that's help, that helps too. So, um, yeah, but for me, it was really music and spending time with people I care about. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. So I will say, like, if you're able to apply to med school without a gap year, I think you're super impressive. Like, you have to be on your stuff since day one of undergrad to be able to apply and be a competitive applicant without having to take a gap year. Um, the, the way the timing works, if you're not aware, if you want to go straight into med school after undergrad and you're doing a four-year undergrad, like the standard, like typical undergrad, you have to submit your application at the end of your junior year which means you have to have taken the MCAT by then and you have to have done all these extracurriculars by then. So um, I really admire people who are able to, to uh, do that because I think that means you're just like a stellar student and you're really good at like working and you're really good at balancing your life. Um, for me, the decision was because, I mean, it was my third year and I was planning on taking the MCAT the summer between my third and fourth year. Like by the time I got my stuff together, right, like it was near the end of my sophomore year, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm not gonna take the MCAT this summer, it's like too early. So uh, at first I was only gonna do one gap year, and then um, I applied to be an RA, and I actually got the position, and that was like one of my dreams since I was a freshman. I wanted to be an RA because I love mentorship, and I just, I really wanted that experience, so I decided to delay the MCAT another year because the, the RA training was over the summer, and I didn't want to mix up studying for the MCAT with RA training. I just wanted to be able to study for the MCAT like without having to worry about anything else. So I pushed the MCAT until after I graduated. Right? So I graduate, I take the MCAT, um, and then I found a job as a scribe, so I started working as a scribe. I took the MCAT in September, and then I took, started working as a scribe a few months after that. I mean, it's weird, like the way I found my scribe job was one of my, so I took a, a test prep course for the MCAT, and, and one of my instructors had mentioned that she was a scribe. And uh, near the end of the course, I told her, I was like, hey, like, you know, I'm interested in being a scribe, like, what do you think I should do? And she's like, oh, hey, just apply here, I'll, like, I, and I'll refer you. And then ended up working out, and that's how I got my scribe job. I worked as an MCAT instructor for a test prep company as well during my first gap year. And I got that job because I chatted up a medical student who was at Starbucks while I was studying for the MCAT, and he told me that he worked for a test prep company and he was like, do you want a job? Then I was like, oh yeah, sure. And then he said, okay, let me know how your MCAT goes. And it ended up working out and I was able to get a job as a, a test prep instructor. So I'm just, I'm telling you these stories to show you how crazy it can get 
right? And how important, like, again, having a low threshold for talking to the person next to you, you know, or having a low threshold for asking someone how they got their job, and then who knows, that may turn to an opportunity, right? Um, that's how I got two of some of my most significant experiences in my gap year. Um, and then I was continuing my research that I did in undergrad, because I was trying to finish this last project, so I did that for a little bit in my first gap year. I was continuing just volunteering and shadowing. I continued my radio show. So my first gap year, I was like relatively busy. I was like hustling, but again, I was in that state of flow I mentioned earlier. It's just like weird. Like when I'm doing things that I enjoy, even if I'm busy, like I can enjoy life still. And you know, um, the scribe job was part-time. The MCAT thing was like six to eight hours a week. So like, it wasn't that bad. Um, and then like research is just like whenever I found the time. So it sounds like I was super busy, but I didn't feel busy. I mean, I still had time to like, you know, work out, spend time with family and like have a good time. And then um, I really recommend that people start working on their application materials the January of the year that they plan on applying. So halfway through my first cap year, which is like January, um, I started working on my essays and stuff and like gathering my letters of rec. And um, yeah, I, I did some other things on, on the side, but uh, those were like some of the main things that I did. And then my second gap year, uh, once I cut into my first medical school, I quit my scribe job because like they were undergoing a transition and I didn't want to deal with the paperwork and stuff. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna quit. I don't need to you know, work here anymore. Um, I still kept my, my MCAT job because it was a really good gig. And then I still did my radio show because I loved it and I was in Irvine still. Um, and yeah, I mean, once you get into your first school, the remainder of your gap year is just chill. You know, you can do whatever you want, you know. Um, so I just lounged about and relaxed. It was awesome. But, yeah. but the first year, it, it was more like hustling and working hard, you know. But if you're deciding what you want to do during your gap year, like you kind of just have to look at what you've done so far and be like, okay, what's missing? And I knew that clinical experience was kind of missing on mine. So I was like, okay, I need to find the scribe job. And it just worked out through my MCAT instructor, so. Yeah. So how were you sort of like able to like turn that around? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, dude. It's just like habits. I don't know. I work, but I work better when I'm busier. You know, so like if you if I have a lot of like free time, I'm gonna be very inefficient. I'm gonna chill. You know, but I think like. Again, like I told you, my senior year, I was doing a whole bunch of stuff. My first gap year, I was doing a whole bunch of stuff. And I still felt like I was having a good time because I feel like I'm forced to be more efficient like when I'm busier, if that makes sense. And if, it also like relates to doing things that I'm genuinely passionate and like interested in, you know? So um, yeah, in terms of like, of like not being an academic slacker, dude, it was bad. I mean, like I wouldn't do the readings for like my English classes. The essay would be due the next day. I'd be like, all right, let's start this at like 10 p.m. like the night before, you know? Um, I'm not proud of that, but I mean, it's my story, so I'll share with you guys, you know? Um, and I'm not like super embarrassed either, but it's just like, it's funny to think about it. Like, I don't know, I think it's like a mental shift. I had a huge like mental shift in between my first and second year. I actually applied to switch out of my major near the end of my first year. And um, that's because I felt like I wasn't good enough Right, I was in this like campus-wide honors program with these others like honors students. So we had some honors classes together, and they were like honors stuff. Like they knew how to study, they knew what to do. Like they just seemed to be so on it, and I just was so off it, you know. 
And I was like, dude, I want to leave this honors program. I want to switch out of my major. I'm done with this. Like, you know, I'll do something else. I, I took like an like international studies class, and I was like, all right, I'll just switch to international studies and I'll see what happens. Maybe I'll do law or something. I don't know. Um, but I ended up, you know, it was all because I didn't believe in myself. And then I talked with my family and some other people I had in my life about the struggle I was going through. You know, I, when I applied to switch my major, that request was actually rejected because I was such a slacker. I didn't know that you have to take a prereq to switch your major. I just applied online. I was like, okay, here, let's go, you know. Um, and I got rejected, and I'm so lucky it got rejected because it forced me to stay for another quarter, and I was like, all right, well, I guess I have to sign up for a chemistry class because at UCI back then, if you fall behind in your major, and I was behind at that point because I didn't take any science classes, like if you fall behind, they kick you out of the major. So I got rejected for my major switch, and then I was like, okay, I, I need to sign up for a, a summer school class last minute. And I signed up for a chemistry class last minute. And that was like the first time in college in my first year, like this is after the first year, but that was the first time where I genuinely like put in like some amount of effort. And I ended up getting an A. And I was like, whoa, like I did it, this is cool. You know, it's not that hard, you know? Like I just had to put in the effort and put in the time. And um, that was like the initial snowball thing. And that just snowballed into like, you know, getting involved and um, maintaining that. I'm a so the reason why I, I, I share that story with you is because I'm such a big believer in the importance of like those small wins. Like that A in that random chemistry class, looking back, it's like one class on my transcript, but it meant so much to me at the time because it if you're able to demonstrate to yourself the outcome of your effort, then it makes putting in that effort easier later down the line because you've uh, proven to yourself that you can do it. So um, having the small wins is super important. Like another small win I had was I was elected the president of the Interfraternity Council, which is kind of like the AS UCLA of the fraternities in my sophomore year, like near the beginning of, of my sophomore year. And, th and that was like a really weird thing. Like I'm just like a sophomore and they elected me president of this thing. I was like, well, this is like so random. Um, and that was like a leadership role that was like super overwhelming for me at the time, but just like Having done that and having that title, I guess, made me a, a little more confident in, in my abilities to be involved on the extracurricular side. And again, I, that's why I want you guys to just have that low threshold for doing whatever it is you want to do because like, it's like a mindset thing almost. Like if you have that low threshold for like executing and doing things, you get those small wins and then it makes everything else easier down the line. So that's my perspective. How to not be a slacker. <laughs> yeah, what's up? Uh, so I know you're like a mentor for some UCLA students here, but do you have any like tips to get, to like become a mentee? Uh, yeah, dude, I mean like, I consider like anyone who just like asked me stuff like a mentee, you know, like um, if you're looking for like some sort of formal mentorship, there are some formal programs. Um, I mean, my perspective is that like, Mentorship to me is kind of just like a glorified friendship almost, right? Um, like a lot of the mentors that I had in undergrad, they ended up just becoming really good friends of mine, you know? Um, my research mentor, the, the grad student I did research with, he became like, just like a really close friend for me. Um, and if you're looking for mentorship, again, it's just that like, I don't think the way to go about it is to be like, all right, I'm gonna email someone and ask them if they can be my mentor, right? 
unless you're doing a formal program like the UCLA Alumni Mentorship Program, then it's different. But I think the way to, to, to go about it is to just go through your life, do those extra curriculars, do the shadowing, do the research, and just pay attention to see if there's someone who you kind of vibe with and someone who is doing things that you think are really, really cool, and just spend more time with that person, right? Um, like, it can be a matter of like, you shadow the doctor like a few times and you ask them, hey, like, can we grab a coffee sometime so I can pick your brain a little bit? And that may turn into a really lengthy mentorship experience, right? Just, just a matter of going through these involvements and these extracurriculars and seeing if there's people that you vibe with and maintaining that like relationship. So I hope that's helpful. Any other questions? I'm not in a rush, I'd like to get out because I have to study after this, so the more. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> so, like, if you were, like, I'm looking to, like, um, find out, like, where my doctor's at home and just, like, hey, can I shadow you? But, like, in the process of shadowing, what do you do? You just, like, stand there and, like, watch them do their stuff? <laughs> like, I don't know any of this stuff, but I do want to be a doctor, but I'm just, like, wondering, like, what happens when you shadow? Yeah, so I think where the term shadowing came from is like you're that person's shadow. You're just following them. You're not doing anything. You're just watching, observing, maybe asking a question when the time is appropriate, right? Like if you're shadowing the OR and the patient's bleeding out, like you're not gonna be like, hey, what artery is that? Like, no, like, you know, but um, yeah, it's just a matter of being there and watching, you know? So that's what shadowing is, you know? Um, I'm really glad you asked that because like, a lot of the times we like assume that everyone knows what these terms are, you know, but uh, yeah. Uh, where's home for you? Um, I'm in the Central Valley. I'm in Moscow, California. Okay, cool. So 30 minutes Yeah, I mean like what you can do is like it, for a spring break, for example, if you're planning on being home during spring break, email them now and be like, hey, like I want to be home during this week. Is there any chance I could come in and w watch you See, like as you see patients so I can get an idea of what medicine and your field is like you know and they may say no they may say yes they, they, they may just ignore you and leave you on red I mean like you know um, but it's it really is a numbers game so I wouldn't grow disheartened because honestly doctors are and all healthcare providers they're very very busy I mean like I'm a medical student and I get so many emails from my school it's ridiculous it's so easy like for me to miss an email and um, they may have just missed your email or they may have said, okay, I'll just look at this later because it's not as important as like the other emails that they've gotten. So um, I, I would reach out as soon as possible and um, just try not to be disheartened if they don't get back to you or if they say no, you know? And if they get back to you and they say no, you can always be like, okay, who else do you think you could connect me with? You know, I think that's a really good thing to ask. Uh, I'm a certified MA, so you said you were a scribe. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering how you found did you like go to like a specific hospital and like look for job openings or? Yeah, so I mean like, I, I so I was in an MCAT test prep course and I asked one of the instructors be, be, because I knew that she was a scribe, I just asked her how she got her job and I told her that I'm interested in working as a scribe and she like referred me and sent me the application link. So that's how I found oh. that job, but I mean, you could just Google, you know, scribe jobs in LA or wherever you're from. And um, yeah, I mean, 
for if you're a certified MA and you have this certification, I think that's awesome. I mean, you could just email. I mean, you could literally just email random doctors who have like a private practice in the area and be like, hey, I'm a certified MA. Is there any chance I could come and work for you? You know, or, or offer to work for free for the first three months. And then, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you don't have to do things that are paid. Just if you offer to work for free and they really like your work, they may offer you a job. You know, so especially if you already have that certification, they, they, they know that you know what you're doing. I feel like if you emailed 25 doctors in the area and you said, hey, I'll come like, work for you for free, you're probably going to get some interest. You know, I think that would be a really awesome way to find a job. And if you do that, I want to hear about it. So okay. let me know. <laughs> What year are you? I'm 30. And what have you done so far? I've done researching, I've done volunteers, I've done shadowing, and I've done Yeah, so I mean, like, I think it's just a matter of tacking things on one at a time. Like, if you, like, tack a thing on and you really, really like it, you may just do it until med school starts. Or just as long as you're in the area or something, you know? Yeah. Um, just have a low threshold for trying things. Mm -hmm. And don't force yourself to continue doing things if you don't like it, you know? Like, I was with another mentee the other day, and they were telling me, like, hey, I'm not as stoked on my lab as I was a year ago. And I'm like, you don't have to stay. You can find another lab. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to stay in one thing just because, you know, you feel like there's, like, going to be bad blood or something, you know? Like, it's your education. It's your experience, yeah. right? But, um, yeah, I would say, like, for sure, don't stretch yourself thin. I mean, it sounds like you know yourself relatively well and you know like what you can tolerate. So I would stick with that and just test things out in small doses and see, and if you get stoked on it, you can do it, you know, bigger. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, um, But yeah, don't get so caught up in like, oh, I, I did this for a year, I have to continue it in perpetuity. Like, no, no, no. You, you can do whatever you want, you know. It's better that you leave that lab or an involvement that you're not stoked on and find a lab and experience or actually a curricular thing that you are stoked on <coughs> earlier than forcing yourself to do something you absolutely dread for three, four years. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But that's my perspective. I mean, other people will maybe disagree. But, yeah. Okay. Um, yes, please. I get so many messages and it's totally <laughs> fine. Yeah. That's the whole reason why I have that thing, you know. It's just so easy to, like, help, like, people out, like, you know, and, and respond to them. And I think, um, yeah, feel free to reach out. I mean, my email's on there. I have a podcast as well, so you can find that in my link as well. And the podcast is basically recordings of stuff like this where, like, I answer questions or, like, one-on-one -on -one conversations with, like, mentees or, like, one-on-one -on -one conversations with, like, like, other medical students or healthcare professionals and stuff. So, um, yeah. Uh, again, like have a low threshold for reaching out to people. Like you can practice on me, right? <laughs> have just practice reaching out to me, so you get used to emailing like other people. You know, I mean, it's 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 all just habit. So. 
Thank you guys so, so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. The best way to get in touch with me is via a direct message on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at MedSchoolDylan. You can also shoot me an email if you have a lengthier question. My email address is my first name and my last name, DylanDejam at gmail.com. You can also reach out on Twitter where my handle is at MedSchoolDylan. And there's also a Facebook page with a Facebook group. If you want to find that Facebook page, all you have to do is search, again, my first and last name, Dylan Dijam, And you can find the link to the Facebook group where all of us are, are hanging out and supporting each other. And yeah, I hope you found this content informative and I really want to hear what you think. So if you have any questions or you want to reach out and let me know your thoughts, feel free to shoot me a message. I'd love to hear from you and have a wonderful day.